Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. It's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. Welcome to another edition of Pound Time Podcast. I am Brother L. Diazobra, formerly named Lyman White. Thank you for joining us today. Today's podcast will be going in a little bit different direction. In the wakes of what all have transpired this week, with the death of a, of a community leader, friend, politician, a true leader, warrior, and one that loved his state and community. We all know who this is. On Monday, former Governor Edwin Edwards passed, transitioned on July the 12th at age of 93, less than four weeks from 94. He was on his way. Say he wanted to make it to 95, have a 95th birthday. But the Lord had other plans. He did not make it. But he's someone that would be truly missed. He was truly loved, respected by all, if not most or many. Any who knew him, and most did, we all have wonderful, exciting, creative stories of this man, his legend, what all he did contribute to the community. I know a lot of people might say, well, L.D., how do you know him? Well, can I say that we end up spending some time together, some very good quality time, or rather should, one, should I say we end up doing time together at the Federal Bureau of Prison in Oakdale, Louisiana. Governor Edwards, as we all know, was given eight years for federal charges, too numerous to name. I was also given charges for Medicaid fraud, uh, conspiracy, and some other things that well, I had to go do some time. Well, in the federal prison, I got a chance to not just visit with him, but got to know him. Very creative, a very, I would say, colorful character of a man, very witty man, wise, just much, much wisdom. But I just kind of want to share a few of my, let's go, we're going to call this going down memory lane of all the great memories of Governor Edwin Edwards. And many of us know him, and many in all communities loved and respected him. But I want to just share a few things that uh, he and I encountered while we were spending quality time together on a daily basis. Ain't too many people can say that, right, besides his wife, Trina, but also another friend of mine who was his bunkmate was, uh, uh, we all call him Bobby D., so anybody who know Bobby D know exactly who am I speaking. Well, Bobby was his, his sweet mate. They shared the same little space. So I used to go visit Bobby, have conversations with him. And as Bobby and I have started having conversations, the governor sits there, so we, I started having conversations with the governor and find out a lot of interesting things about him, a lot of great things. And uh, I'm going to start out by just sharing that at doing what we call mail call or mail call out. All of us would line up in the hall during the time for mail call, normally after 4 o'clock, you know, after 4.30. We all sitting there, standing there waiting for the call out day for mail. And as you know, you know, I might get one or two, three letters. Uh, some other guys might get one letter. Most guys didn't get any. But girl, I got all the mail. He took all the mail from everybody. Everybody was writing him. Everybody was concerned about him. Everybody cared about him. 
so people would write him on a regular basis. I mean, sometimes he'd get 20 pieces of mail in one day. Most people didn't even get one piece of mail. So he was hogging all the mail. But we all knew that everybody loved and respected the government. One day, there were some new arrivals. I knew we was all at the camp at the time, right? The camp was located in Oakdale next to the the low federal prison and the immigration federal prison. So one day, uh, I guess probably around either this time or a little bit later around August, September, we had some new arrivals. And one of the new arrivals was another governor from out of Alabama, Governor Don Siegelman, another good and dear friend of mine who had written his book. Gov, I promise you I'm going to read your book, just like I read Governor Edwards' book. Uh, but we, he, when he arrived, the first thing Governor Elwood done is that he went to talk with or speak with former Governor Don Siegelman at the camp. And the first thing he told him, he said, well, look, now look, I know you, you're a governor, I'm a governor, but I'm Governor 1, you Governor 2. So we started calling him G1, and we called Governor Siegelman G2. So that's when the G1 and G2 got started in the federal Oakdale prison. So the Gov made sure that he knew who was ranked the highest. He was the number one. He'd been there, and he made sure he going to retain his title as the, as governor, the number one governor. You know, what was interesting, he and I used to run a teacher. He was the teacher. I worked in the cafeteria. I just helped to serve the food and do a little cleanup in the kitchen. You know, Gov was a pretty big eater. He had a pretty healthy appetite. And on chicken day, you know, I guess we say all hell to the chicken because the chicken rule in the federal prison. When they fry chicken, I mean, they've done it once a, once a month, maybe, sometimes twice a month. That was major. I mean, when I say major, the whole compound shut down for fried chicken day. Everybody showed up for the fried chicken. So I knew governor, the gov like gov one, G1 like fried chicken. So what I would do, I would ease a few pieces extra out. Couldn't you only could put one piece on the plate? Everybody got the same amount on the plate. Nobody got nothing special, right? But after you know we got through cleaning up, of course the guys cooking, they gonna fry a few extras. And we had uh, Officer Scott, you know, who oversaw the the kitchen, who did a great job. A brother out of Mississippi, uh, I guess Woodville, Mississippi. But brother Scott was another very colorful character. But he took his job serious, and he treated everybody with equally. I got to say that about him. He was a nice guy, hard-nosed type guy, a good old country boy. So he knew what everybody was doing. He knew that uh, these guys were working for him. These guys was up, we always in the kitchen. So he made sure that he looked out for his, his workers. He took care of everybody. So when on that day, I knew Gov liked, some, liked fried chicken, so I would you know, ease me a few pieces out. And I would bring it, you know, we wrap it in some, not, we didn't have fall, but we had that uh, syringe wrap paper. So with the syringe wrap, I would, uh, you know, wrap the chicken up, put it in my pocket, because you couldn't walk with it in your hand, so you had to put it in your pocket. And I would go down to the Gov uh, bunk, and either, most time he wasn't there, he was out walking. He would walk like twice a day, sometimes three times a day, morning, noon, and after, and evening, he would do, do some walking. He was still putting on a little weight, had a little gut at the time, but he, you know, pretty much maintained his weight. So I would leave him a, you know, one or two pieces of chicken. I like, I knew what he liked, and he was very appreciative of that. 
And also I would bring something to Gov 1, Gov 2 from Alabama, and also my partner, uh, Brother Austin. He know about that. I would take care of Brother Austin, look out for him too. And my partner, Mr. Dixon, state representative, state senator out of Memphis, Tennessee. So I, those are the people I would look out for on a regular basis. Because of that, you know, Gov and I would have good conversations. Uh, one day he was telling me about his dad. He saw his dad whip the mule, and his dad was a preacher. And when he saw his dad whip that mule, he was, you know, we would ask his dad, why did he whip the mule? Why did he hit that mule? And he said, from that day forward, you know, that, that bothered him, that disturbed him. You know, he never could figure out why his dad whipped the mule. So he said he would never whip or, or do harm to an animal or no one from that day forward. And that was interesting to hear him say that because, you know, being a politician, I thought you, you whipped up on people on a regular basis, maybe not in a physical way, but in a mental way. And maybe that's probably why, you know, he was so loved and respected because he treated everybody the same. It's like he felt that, how he felt about that view is how he felt about people in general, no matter what walks of life, what side, who, what part of town, he pretty much treated everybody the same. So I got a chance to hear a lot of his good stories about uh, growing up and moving to Crowley as a young man running for city council, being a, a lawyer, a small town lawyer uh, in Crowley, Louisiana and how he moved up and how he got a chance to meet people and grow with people like dear friend of mine, Greg LaFleur dad, Gervis LaFleur. So, you know, he would tell us different stories about these people that he met and got a chance to know and grow with over the years, right? But also, you know, Gov and I would meet up on a regular basis, although the camp is not that big of a place, but he and I, whatever reason, we had an interest for religious services. So most of the time, I would show up at a religious service, whether it's Muslim, Christian, Buddhist, Jehovah Witness, Jewish services, even more science temple. When I show up, guess who I see sitting there? The girl. He's sitting right there too. And one day I asked him, I said, why are you going to all these different religious services? He said, I just always want to learn the different dynamics and, and how different religions work, what they're saying and what, they're, what make them work and how they, what the religion is all about. So he just wanted to learn. He, he had a thirst for knowledge, I guess I would say. Yeah, so he was sure. He, as a matter of fact, one day he and I was at a skinhead meeting of service. <laughs> so not the skinhead, I'm sorry, the, the Aaron Nation, the Aaron Nation brothers. There. I think we was at one of their services. He, you know, we both wanted to figure it out, like what was going on. And uh, we, had the, we had the different Arabic or Muslims who some was uh, called themselves American Muslims. We had the the Arabic Muslims who's from Iran, Iraq, and who had their services. We both show up and we both want to listen. It could be Black History Month. And guess who be sitting there? Gov. You want to know what's going on for Black History Month. So he always had a thirst for knowledge, always was interested in supporting and serving others and hearing what others had to say. So so it was it was an interesting it was just interesting to see him participate in other, with others along with learning about other histories. I said he was a job, he, uh, he held a job as a teacher in the prison. And this is kind of interesting too, because when you think about in prison, they know the importance of keeping all uh, inmates basically busy doing something. Now they paid you a few dollars. I mean, I forgot what, the, what it was. The, the pay might've been $2 a day. So, and at the end of the month, that might uh, in the month that might be 
$50, something like that. I think we made, we averaged about $50 a month. So with that little $50 a month, you can buy different items that you like or that you want from the commissary, right? But Gov kind of, he helped some guys get their GED, and a lot of guys was very appreciative of that. He was very patient with the guys, and he worked very closely and intently with the guys. If they want to achieve something, they really want to get a GED, he made sure that happened. So we, we appreciate him for that. Also, one day, while I was working in the cafeteria, Gov came by to tell me that. He said, uh, I had a visitor today, and they told me to tell you hi. He said, I want you, I want you to listen. I said, I want you to listen. I want you to realize that he was really concerned about you. He really wanted to make sure that you're doing good, that your family's doing okay, things are all right. I said, okay, well, who is it? He said, well, it was Judge John Brady. He came visit me today, and I just looked at him with a stare. Did anybody know that Judge John Brady is the one who sentenced me to prison? So, of course, I wouldn't happen to hear his name. Matter of fact, didn't want to hear his name, didn't care to hear his name. Of course, I feel differently now, although he's gone, he passed on, and uh, I learned to respect him. But I looked at him like, okay, you know, you got to be kidding me. You think I want to hear about Judge Brady? So he's, he attempted to explain to me that, that uh, he's really concerned about you. He really wanted to know about your well-being. And I looked at him, I said, well, girl, I feel the way about Judge Brady as you feel about Judge Palazzolo. So he looked at me and grinned and walked away. Does anybody know Palazzolo is the one who sent us him? <laughs> so he understood that perspective. But of course, we know we grew to uh, respect the men and the judge and some, some of those low-down prosecutors for what they do. But we know they're doing their jobs uh, to the point where they'll do anything to make sure that, that you go do time. That needs to stop somewhere. But also, I was saying about a job, that they make sure that everybody in the prison works. So if they know, if the system knows that you got to keep grown men and women busy, you got to keep them active. You wouldn't have paid them $50 a month in prison to do a job. Why can't they do the same on the outside? Why can't we create jobs for these young people to keep them busy, out of trouble? Because if you got money to pay prisoners, prisoners to do, do things, why can't you pay these young men and women right now money to help them to take care of themselves or learn a trade or learn something? So, because you know the importance of, uh, of giving people jobs. That's just another tidbit from me, from ARD. Also, one day I was talking to Gov. I said, Gov, I said, uh, I want them shoes you got, and I want that cap you got on your head. He said, well, would you expect me just to give it to you? I said, yeah. I said, would you? He said, well, no, I need my shoes and cap. This is all I have. I said, what happens if I buy you another, some more shoes and a cap? Would you sign those over to me? And would you sign that cap over to me? Hey, man, if you're going to go do that, I sure would. And I guess you know the commissary was coming up in a few days. Commissary is where you went to spend money with the federal prison. So I went and bought him some shoes, some new tennis shoes, I guess size eight. I don't remember what, eight, eight and a half. And I brought him some, I bought him a new cap. So when I brought the shoes to him, he was shocked. I think the shoes that time was the New Balance. That was the name of New Balance. Paid $50 for those shoes in the federal prison. Paid a few dollars for that cap. I said, he said, well, here they go. These are yours. He said, you, uh, give me my new shoes and new cap. We good to go. So he took the new shoes and new cap, and he signed his over to me. He put his, uh, I said, girl, I want you to put your prison number on there. 
I want you to put the year on there and I want you to sign it. I think it was one other thing I might have requested. So if anybody looking for some shoes, tennis shoes, and a cap from the from the federal prison days, I got you. Because Gov personally signed it and turned them over to me for a small price. So Gov, I appreciate that you left some small memories that I can retain, maintain, and have. So we'd like to say thank you to Governor Edwin Edwards. You know we're gonna be he's gonna be having services in the next day or two. We're gonna be lying in lying in state at the Louisiana State Capitol in a rotundo, I believe. And I will be one of the ones to visit, pay my respect to him, his lovely wife Trina, who he met while in the federal prison. Matter of fact, uh, when she first time she showed up, we thought that was Gov's daughter. We said, oh, we didn't know Gov had a daughter, pretty little young girl come to visit him. I knew about his son, Stephen, but I didn't know, he, I knew he had an older daughter, but I knew we, none of us knew he had a younger daughter. Then we find out that, oh no, she wrote Gov and told Gov she'd like to come visit with him. She'd like to come and see him in prison. So he, she, she started showing up on a regular basis. But I'm telling you, he smiled from ear to ear, from ear to ear, every time she showed up. And guess what? The rest of us did too. It was a beautiful, it was a pleasure to see a beautiful young lady show up in the federal prison. Although quite a few came through there, but it was a pleasure to see her and support. And Trina, we thank you for supporting him in his in his last days, stand by his side. And uh, even I heard he was in the wheelchair. And I'm just so hurt and disappointed that. He and I didn't get a chance to do a podcast because I'm telling you, it would have been a doozy. It would have, have been an exciting one because we could have been talking about the, uh, the times at the federal prison. Even the time, uh, you know, in the prison when you want to take a picture, you have to make a request to take pictures in the federal prison. And I had wanted to take a picture with, uh, with Gov in a federal prison. Well, you know, it's a little harder to do that. than You can take a picture with all your other prison partners, but it's harder to take pictures with, you know, big name people. And so I asked Gov, I said, Gov, I said, would you take a picture with me for keepsake? He said, oh, sure. So I said, well, you know, I need to get the other governor, Governor Sig- uh, Siegerman, to take a picture with me. And my other friend, Roscoe Dixon, the state representative, state senator out of Memphis, Tennessee. So when I went, when I went to make the request, it took them a, oh, about a month or two before they honored that request. But they let us take a picture together, and I have the picture, but I did not get governor, I did not have him to sign the picture because they didn't turn the picture over to me until a few days before I got ready to leave to, to come back home. I don't know why, but they would not let me have the pictures until months later. But I do have the pictures of me, Governor Edward, Governor Siegerman, and state representatives, state senator. Mr. Roscoe Dixon out of Memphis, Tennessee. So I do have a wonderful keepsake from the days of uh, of our, what we call that, when we went abroad to Oakdale, Louisiana. So, Governor, I thank you for that picture. I'm just so sorry we didn't get a chance to have this conversation uh, together, to reminisce, to go down memory lane, to share these uh, these wonderful uh, times and uh, that in the prison, although it was a difficult time, but we made it through. And I asked you several days of uh, time that, you know, because you was making 80, and I asked you where you going to think you was going to make it out of here. You looked at me, you looked me dead in the eye, and said, oh, 
Sure, I will. And you did. Not only did you make it out, you made it out and you stood the course. So we're going to miss you, but we know you served your time. You served it well. We thank you, God. We thank you, the universe, for sending a man like you who cared, who showed so much love and respect to others that in this day and time that people still can tip their head and hopefully the Lord can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. So you're going on to your next dimension of what we call the spiritual life. Rest in peace, God, and may it be. And always remember this here. Man can shackle the hand. Man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind. The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. And I'd like to thank you for tuning in once again to Count Time Podcast. I'm Brother L. Diazobra. Thank you once again. Remember, it's 4 p.m. Stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted.